Hello, this is Nikki Toyamasito, Executive Director of Christians for Social Action, and your host for this episode of 20 Minute Takes. This week, we talk with Jacqueline Ogega. She's a Senior Director of Gender Equality and Social Inclusion with World Vision. She's also the author of Home Is Us and the founder of Mpazi, an organization that works locally in communities in Africa. We discuss her book and the importance of having survivors come into the conversation as experts. She helps us to recognize the ways that these perspectives are important as we try to be a justice presence in our neighborhoods. Jackie Ogega, welcome to 20 Minute Takes. Thank you so much, Nikki. I'm happy to be here. Um, I'm so excited to talk with you. And I realize that uh, your titles can be a little bit intimidating. What is one of the things that people, as they get to know you, are actually rather surprised to find out? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I think that I that I can dance. <laughs> I really- ah, you're a dancer. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I like uh, shaking my booty and <laughs> having a good time. <laughs> that's that's I I am surprised. I will say that. <laughs> yeah. In your book, Home Is Us, you talk about your personal experiences, and it sounds like your personal experiences really intersect with the work that you do in uh, gender inclusion and equity. Can you say more about your personal story and how that influences uh, the work that you do? Absolutely, Nikki. Thank you. Um, you know, every time I look at uh, the women and girls, uh, men and boys that I meet through my work in international development and peace building, I see myself. And I've always insisted that uh, the personal, as we say in gender equality and social inclusion, is public. The personal is very public. Um, I was born and raised in a, a small village in southwestern Kenya, uh, where boy preference was such a, a big deal, but also all forms of uh, violence against women and girls, uh, gender-based violence, uh, were very prevalent. So, um, you know, I was the third child uh, to my parents, my mom and dad, um, and I was a daughter. All of us were daughters, um, and okay. so. It was very, very difficult for, for my mother, especially, because in that cultural uh, setting at that time, um, uh, you know, a family that only had daughters was not respected and, you know, valued. Uh, yeah. um, and so it was, it, the, the idea was that my father would remarry another woman to bear sons. Uh, so some of the, you know, worst incidents of violence against uh, women that I witnessed as a child were toward my mother, and that was domestic violence from my father, uh, but also from my uh, paternal relatives, my grandmother, my aunts, you know, trying to uh, beat up my mother, assault her physically uh, so that she can leave and my father could remarry um, and bear sons. Um, And those forms of violence, you know, were not just uh, physical, they were also verbal, uh, abusive, you know, denigrating, uh, uh, you know, sometimes 
like uh, I write in the in my book, home is as my my grandmother pooped um, at the front door of my mother's house, and and you know said, uh, "This poop is all I give you because you you're worthless. You know you have oh. um, you have you have no children." Although yeah. my mother was not, you know, uh, essentially barren, but she was considered uh, childless because she bore only three daughters. Um, and, you know, there are other forms of uh, gender-based violence that uh, came along with that, uh, such as the undervaluing or not valuing at all the education of girls. Uh, and so, you know, we were not supposed, my sisters and I were not supposed to go to to get any education, any right to education, any right to dignity, uh, self-determination uh, was denied uh, by my father, my relatives, and the community around us. Uh, so uh, my mother had to struggle single-handedly to make sure that uh, we were educated, that we went to school, that we earned an education, and we were the first girls uh, to, to go to university. So when I look at uh, some of the, the work that we do in international development, uh, you know, looking at ensuring that there's inclusive and equitable education for all people, irrespective yeah. of their sex or their race, uh, you know, it's so, so personal to me because I have seen firsthand, I've witnessed firsthand where just because of your sex or because of your race, uh, you're not supposed to have equal opportunities and rights to earn an education, to own property, to be a human being, just like mm-hmm. any other human being uh, within a certain community or a setting. And, and those things really impacted me very personally. And, and I see, uh, you know, that those are some of the things we try to address through the work we do in international development, uh, humanitarian emergency and peace building. Yeah. I think one of the things that I find myself in, I, I'll be in rooms where people are talking about policy, they're talking about uh, gender inclusion, and these things, very big concepts. Do you find that because you were a front row witness, does it affect differently both your approach, but also your recommendations in that conversation? Absolutely. And it, quite frankly, it frustrates me sometimes yeah. because oftentimes this, uh, you know, um, not to be disrespectful, but there are, there are some people who really haven't uh, had the opportunity to, 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 you know, um, witness some or to, to provide the opportunity to listen to uh, survivors like myself and, and that then can influence policy and have a, a you know a participatory process or ensuring the voices of uh, those who are um, affected are involved in, in those uh, you know strategies and policies at a higher level. But I think that it's very important. I'll give you an example, Nikki. Uh, one of the forms of uh, violence that my sisters and I uh, witnessed in the community was uh, female genital cutting or mm-hmm. mutilation, as they, they call it. Um, uh, you know, and uh, at that time, when, I, when we underwent that practice, there was no law. There was no law in Kenya that, uh, you know, said you cannot uh, conduct that practice. Uh, but because, uh, you know, uh, it was a very uh, cultural practice for every woman, every young girl to undergo. We went through the practice, uh, all of us, the three of us. Um, 
So I do think that uh, policy is very important at a higher level. Kenya finally uh, had a policy in, in, uh, in just not too long ago in 2010 that uh, outlaws um, uh, female genital cutting and mutilation. Of course, uh, implementation of that policy is, is uh, you know, still a, a big challenge. But the policies in, in, in and by themselves uh, cannot bring about societal change. So I think it's very important to listen to the voices of uh, survivors like myself to come up with strategies that can actually transform those harmful practices like female genital cutting or violence against women and girls or gender-based violence more generally, which affects men and boys as well. Um, because we, we, we can bring perspectives that are important. Now, it doesn't always mean that uh, survivors or victims have the answers or that they have all the answers, but I think uh, their perspectives are very, very critical in bringing about uh, sustained change. And um, for that practice, for example, it ended with me. I'm the last born of the three girls. And yeah. uh, in my entire family uh, and extended family, that practice has been stopped. It's stopped. It, yeah. Absolutely. And when, uh-huh. when I work with uh, uh, War Vision and other organizations that I worked with before, uh, you know, I am very open to share my personal story. It does not define who I am. Uh, these forms of violence shouldn't define anyone's, uh, you know, um, capacity or ability, but they help us to really uh be advocates and, and to, to be strong in, uh, you know, saying that we must not uh, continue these harmful practices of violence. Um, and so it's very important to bring the high level together with the, you know, experiential and that way we can have greater impact rather than, uh, you know, having a world where there's high level advocacy and, and, you know, without connection to the real human and experiential um, factors that, uh, you know, can really bring about better strategies for change. Yeah. I mean, Jackie, that's one of the things I love about what you do is that you oversee and run global programs. And at the same time, you are a survivor. And I think one of the things that I don't often see is a good addressing of the power dynamic when people try to bring in the voice of survivors, that sometimes there's a perpetuation of a power dynamic, even as they invite the survivor voice in. Are there a couple of questions or advice that you would give folks who really want to um, be intentional about centering survivors as they are thinking about community transformation? Um, any advice that you would have? Absolutely. And that's a really good and important uh, reflection, Nikki, because I do become very vulnerable and uh, I I do notice the risks of my colleagues or, uh, you know, people that I work with, uh, you know, looking at me as as a victim and not looking Mm -hmm. at that voice um, as, you know, both an expert, but also bringing the survivor voice, as you say. There's always uh, that risk of uh, putting survivors into a certain box, uh, not mm-hmm. so much as, as uh, experts or agents of change as, as well. Um, and so I think uh, that's why, in a sense, I have pursued all levels of uh, 
excellence, you know, in, in, in terms of uh, our technical expertise and academic rigor and, and uh, you know, also bringing in the, uh, the, the practical experiential learnings uh, together. So I think that one advice I would provide uh, is to really consider survivors experts in their own right. Uh, because that they they do they do bring a lot of uh, um, you know expertise in, in international work that we do like with World Vision for example uh, when we are hiring folks I see that uh, you know sometimes people say oh you know I immersed myself through this uh, let's say Pisco program uh, and went into the village and stayed there for two months and um, I so they become experts in international international development. But, you know, those folks who have actually experienced trauma or gender-based violence or lived in poverty, um, Mm -hmm. material poverty, uh, Mm -hmm. like myself, sometimes we are seen more as, you know, tell us the stories and then the experts come up with the solutions. Oh, that's interesting. Just the storytellers, just help us fill it out, but not necessarily be the ones who recommend, advise, design. Okay. So I would like to, one of the advice is that, please, let them be also uh, the experts that can bring about, you know, some recommendations or uh, be critical to your designs uh, yes. so that, you know, they, they are giving you the solutions, that they are not mm-hmm. always generating what the problem is. And one of my fears for, for writing my book, actually, uh, Home is As My Story, was that I would be put into that bracket of, oh, you know, this uh, almost pathological, actually, um, you know, story that is so painful. Um, And it is a painful story when you look at the forms of gender-based violence um, and the material poverty that was there. But I want to also say that one other advice I would give um, is that uh, the, 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 there can be an emphasis on the resilience and the hope, mm-hmm. uh, especially for faith-based uh, uh, you know, organizations. The emphasis I have in my book is about the prayers, the joys, the laughters, you know, mm-hmm. the inner peace. So mm-hmm. how can we learn uh, from survivors and actually utilize their models, like the models that my mother applied to mm-hmm. help us to be successful, the, the, the joyfulness that we experienced at home, even amidst, uh, you know, material poverty. They, 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 that's what I call real wealth, um, mm-hmm. that, that we didn't necessarily have all the material things like uh, electricity or running water, tapped running water or uh, you know, um, <laughs> all kinds of, uh, you know, the material things we look into. But we had so much uh, uh, peace and, and joy within the circumstances that we lived in and always uh, a, a desire for hope and, and for something better, for, for something that is going to be transformational and the, the ongoing resilience that uh, we, we faced. I think that that component really is a problem-solving uh, component that we often don't bring into the models uh, that we apply uh, in, in um, you know, problem-solving, uh, uh, you know, models that we apply to, to the current uh, world. Um, so I would like to see more heroes like my mother and Shiro's, um, you know, who actually uh, 
within circumstances that were very difficult, uh, found solutions that have been lasting. Because as I shared earlier, the three daughters of my mother, including myself, have actually been thriving, um, and mm. and we have we have uh, been able to then you know go back and give back to a community, uh, like through the Panzi organization that I co-founded, which uh, supports girls to go through school and also mm-hmm. prevents uh, violence against women in the villages of the Kisi and Maasai communities in southwestern Kenya. So mm-hmm. and and of course I continue to give myself through my work and my my sisters are you know, fully employed. Uh, my mother owned property, her own property, and she has taught us how to own property as well. Things that we didn't have a right to, like right to own property ownership. Yeah. So it's really important uh, that uh, uh, we give that expertise to survivors. We give them voice, we give mm-hmm. them expertise and paid expertise as well. So that it's not just the stories of their painful experiences but it's also how they can solve problems uh, in our current world. I also want your mother to be among our sheroes. Do you mind telling us her name? Yes. (laughs) I don't mind at all. My mother is uh, called Marcella Mora. Um, and my father's last name, Ogega, is, is what is her last name. And um, she is just a, a wonderful, uh, resilient uh, Shiro. <laughs> wonderful. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you've talked about resilience, which I think has really had a resurgence in kind of the common conversation. Can you tell us a little bit about how your faith has informed resiliency? Mm. Yeah, thank you so much. And and you know, I've actually grown through that 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 faith um, uh, right from the the time that you know I was uh, very young, and my my mother introduced me to the Christian faith, um, where we prayed the Rosary every morning. Uh, <laughs> she used the Bible, actually the the readings from the Bible, very in very different and interesting ways. Um, uh, and prayer is, you know, when we are running away from my, my father's home state, for example, it's at night and he has chased us out of his house. Uh, and we had to go, go to my, my mother's home, you know, my grandmother's wow. house, which yeah. was many kilometers away. Uh, uh-huh. so the, 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 we had to have faith that we would walk through the darkness. Imagine wow. a woman with three girls, young kids. Yes. Um, walking through darkness, wading through waters, and yeah. there there were wolves and other animals. Uh, we had to pray. She would say, "Hey, pray that uh, you know we will get to grandmother's house safely." Um, and that that actually made faith for me to be something very practical, because wow, we would yeah. pray and sing um, and and get to the house safely. Um, yeah. and, and that's what faith is about, believing in something that you cannot see. Uh, it's a literal walking by faith. Exactly. Yeah. It became uh-huh. very, very practical. It's something you practice um, uh-huh. uh, in moments of adversity and celebration. When my mother first bought uh, land, um, her own land, she actually brought the land title deed and we prayed over it. Wow. So it was ev- prayer was like very central to to my entire life of growing up and to being resilient, to holding on to hope. Um, and also the, the, the um, 
uh, noticing nature and loving nature. So my my grandmother, my mother's mother, was not a Christian um, until after she was married. And of course, there's the history of colonialism and and um, in Kenya, the the British colony, and also you know missionaries. Uh, mm-hmm. She was converted to become mm-hmm. Roman Catholic, um, but before her conversion, uh, she 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 was uh, you know uh, indigenous in her faith, uh, mm-hmm. and they worshipped uh, one god called Angora, and mm-hmm. through that uh, worship, uh, it was really more about respect for the earth. So I remember mm-hmm. my gr- my grandmother teaching me that faith as well. Like if she gave birth to a baby. The first mm-hmm. thing that she would do is take the child out in the sun uh, in the morning, very early in the morning, and tell the son, please take care of my child as I wow. take care of, of you, yeah. so yeah. of your earth. So yeah. it was really that exchange with respect with the earth, um, with, the, with the ancestors, you know, like uh, the, the, the fact that we honor the earth, we take care of the earth, we take care of the animals. and. Yeah. and the food that we generate from the earth. So essentially we never really purchased, uh, you know, goods, but most of the time we lived off the land. So oh, for yeah. me, that faith was so Off the land and with the land, with the it land. sounds like. Exactly. Like this ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Respecting that. So it really um, helped me to develop that uh, uh, very interesting faith in, in uh, you know, the Christian faith that was brought to us by the missionaries and colonialists, but also in, in the faith of my ancestors, the faith of uh, uh, nurturing the earth and living off and with the earth and all the creatures in it. Um, and, and I have uh, in the book written quite a few prayers that came out of uh, that and the oral tradition of storytelling that honored, you know, um, a lot of the, 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 the culture of, of my community. So I'm very proud to, to say that, uh, you know, faith is so central to me. Um, yeah. And I'm, 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 I feel like I'm very dynamic in, in, in the ways I think about uh, my faith as a, as a Christian and, and as an indigenous person, um, you know, in that context of yeah, the indigenous uh, culture of Kenya and, and also the resilience that that, you know, helped us to maintain through the, the good times and the, and the bad times. Yes, it's yeah. wonderful. Do you happen to have a prayer? from your book that would you mind reading that for us yes i was uh, actually about to read uh, one of the prayers uh you know that um, um was is very meaningful to me because it's uh, it's it's about my mother praying for for her daughters uh after a very difficult time when they have been assaulted and and insulted so she prayed with psalm 139 uh, the 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 prayer imprinted in in my heart to the everyday God of women and little girls, powerful, feminine, sisterly, and motherly. Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. Even before a word is in my tongue, you know it. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. When 
where can I go from your spirit? If I take the wings of the morning and settle in the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall overcome me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark for you. Night is as bright as the day. Darkness is as light to you. And so I beg you, Lord God Almighty, take these children, my three daughters, and make them yours. Protect them, love them, lead them, for it is you who formed their in our parts. It is you who laid them together in my womb. I praise you because they, my beautiful girls, are beautifully and wonderfully made. Jackie, thank you so much for sharing your prayer, for your story, for your advocacy. Um, I'm really grateful uh, to chat with you. Thank you. Twenty Minute Takes is a production of Christians for Social Action. We're produced and edited by David DeLeon. I'm your host, Nikki Toyamasito, and the music is done by Andre Henry. You can find us on the web at ChristiansforSocialAction.org. Give us five stars, write a review, and share about the podcast with your friends. Mm-hmm.